Kia ora. If you're a woman in midlife, this podcast is for you. Get ready to embark on a transformative journey where we tackle self-doubt, people-pleasing, imposter syndrome and overwhelm. Celebrate this second stage of life and claim your authentic confidence and courage. Midlife is not a time to settle. It's a time to unleash your purpose into the world. Make an impact done your way without compromising your own well-being. I'm Megan Care, mindset coach, former psychosynthesis counsellor and craniosacral therapist. Are you ready? Let's begin. Hey friends, happy new year to you. If you're listening to this in January 2024, this episode is the last of my very short series of most valuable podcast during our Kiwi summer holidays over Christmas and New Year. It gives me a little creative break so I can refresh and rethink what I want to bring for you in the new year and in 2024. I also like to reflect on the podcast that I'm sharing with you today and bring you something that is really, really valuable from the practitioners, the all of them were amazing practitioners that I chatted with in 2023. You know, they shared their wisdom around midlife and menopause. And this third episode in our small MVP series is from Emma Perks of Full Circle Physio. Emma speaks on all things sexual health in menopause and midlife. And why I think this is so damn important is because I think it's often something that is left under the rug when we're dealing with our symptoms. For many of us, we just sort of get a try and get a handle on the insomnia and the night sweats and the brain fog. But sexual arousal and sexual desire are not talked about as often. However, they can cause really significant problems in our intimate relationships with our partner and also in our relationship with ourselves. And so there is a lot of unwinding we do around what it means to be a woman in midlife, what it means to be intimate. And we get to redefine who we are as a central, alive, vibrant human being in this midlife stage. But we all know that the little pockets of our life or our experience that we leave hidden, unseen and unlooked at, they can cause the biggest roadblocks in our vitality and in our capacity to live our fullest most meaningful life. It's often those places where we don't want to look for fear because there's a lot of stigma around it because we just don't know who we should talk to about it or how we can be helped. These are the areas that will often cause the biggest problems for us in our life. And so what I love about this conversation with Emma and her work in general is that she just opens the door to very non-shame based conversation, evidence-based approaches to support sexual health and well-being. I really think this podcast is worthy of your time. Chuck it on in the background and get ready for some information that can potentially really change the quality of your life on many levels. Here we go. 
And I want to just let you know real quick before we jump into the episode that we're enrolling for the next round of the Midlife Upgrade course. The Midlife Upgrade course is my answer to the challenges and symptoms that we experience as women in midlife. This is a psychological roadmap for women in midlife. It is a group coaching course There are video modules and learnings online all ready to go for you. And then we have our weekly group live coaching calls, which are just the golden nuggets of the course. If you want to take charge of your life, if you want to turn the season of your life into the upgrade that it is meant to be, take a look at all the details on my website, megancare.co.nz forward slash course. And now, on with the show. Thank you for having me back, Megan. So, uh, I am a pelvic health physiotherapist. Um, so, for people who don't know what that is, it is like a generic physiotherapist and we treat people through all parts of their body, but we have a particular interest in pelvic health. So, things that happen within the pelvis usually, so that in relation to women's health in particular, that is uh, things like continence issues, so bladder and bowel issues, uh, any problems with periods or period pain, uh, perimenopausal pregnancy, babies, uh, and pain. So all of the above. Uh, And we treat people um, from the ages of sort of naught (laughs) onwards. So we, as I say, we see women through their ages and stages of life and through their major transitions. So that's usually pre-puberty, puberty, pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopause and postmenopause. And that's kind of really the idea of why we called it full circle physiotherapy or what I called it full circle. Um, it's just this idea that women are cyclical beings. We go through these big transitions and every transition is an opportunity for an upgrade or an opportunity for a change. Um, again, the idea of a cycle, it kind of starts and it duration and then it finishes. So you have opportunity to start again, as it were. Um, and yeah, so there's actually now um, a team of us. So there are four physiotherapists that work together and we work around the mountain. So we are based in New Plymouth at Tahi. Uh, we're also based in Hawara and then we're also now placed in Okato. So there's three different locations we are at. Beautiful. So wherever you live around the manga, we can access full circle physio services. Fantastic. So good. And so the part of the... Um, cycle that I'm interested in and that I work with women around is um, midlife but perimenopause postmenopause and so that's why I'm super excited that you've jumped on the podcast today to have a chat with me because I, I wanted to speak to you about pelvic health issues that come up for women peri and post menopause so I'm just going to say midlife right because that's that broader range but also how that relates to sex because that that's such a big issue through perimenopause and post and um, I really wanted to dive into a bit of conversation with you about it because whenever I've talked to you about that subject around sex and around midlife it's been so incredibly helpful for me as a woman in midlife and it's opened up my awareness about I guess the simple things but understanding around how my brain and body works and the the hormonal shifts that happen and how that impacts my 
interest or lack of interest in sex and all of that kind of stuff. So I guess let's begin with the the physical, wherever you want to start around it. Cool. Yeah. So I guess it's it's useful to start almost if I cover a little bit of what is quote unquote normal in a normal cycle of a woman who is maybe having regular periods uh, almost maybe before just before perimenopause because it it sets the picture of what is as I said to be expected and how you make those changes so it's and I say this a lot of times to to clients is that again there's a normalcy around there are going to be different points in your cycle when you are going to be more interested in sex than others okay so even if we take out perimenopausal and hormonal shifts just within a natural kind of menstrual cycle for women, right, is that there is going to be this uh, shift in hormonal changes, obviously one, but then there's also physical changes. So we know our cervix height will change as well at different points in the month. That will impact on things like sexual positioning, for example. So for example, if I'm talking uh, kind of, I talk about penis and vagina sex, penetrative sex, um, the you're going to find you might find that having you know being intimate with someone um, and using a particular position on this week you do the same position in a couple of weeks and it feels completely different and you're like oh that's not that's not what I like and not what I want right now so there is already a natural trend that happens along a normal menstrual cycle so that's just useful to put out there because I think again there's this consensus that uh, we should be ready for sex at any any given time, on any given day, on any given month. And when you don't feel like it, as women, we always assume there's something wrong with us, you know, like, oh, that's right. there's something wrong with me. Um, and so that's useful to kind of put out there and project out there that if you are not feeling particularly, uh, you know, sensual and sexual on the week for example, the, the week of your period or leading up to your period, when we would recognize as a season of change, that kind of being your autumn, winter, you're more likely to want to have sex when you're coming into your spring and summer, right? Like it makes biological sense because that's when your body is prepping yeah. for the egg to be released, the ovulation to occur. If sperm was going to happen, they're going to make that kind of environment super as we just used by the juicy but it's going to make that environment yep. super attractive to bring sperm in to make a baby and then once the egg has not been fertilized then it recognizes oh, okay not this not this month and it goes away again so um there's also that doesn't follow a very strict rule so for example um some people will find that you know they might feel more um you know kind of more sensual and more sexual kind of when they're closer to their period there's a there's, it's not kind of one size fits all kind of rule yeah. but the best thing I do with people is just to get them just to take note of where their natural feelings of arousal seem to be or um you know when they're feeling more feeling like sex or intimacy at what point in their cycle so that's kind of the start if that makes sense so when you're entering into a perimenopausal cycle because of that there isn't obviously that same routine predictable hormonal shift through things and we liken perimenopause very much like the teenage years okay so if you look at the uh, like a chart of how a a menstrual cycle in a teenager or when you first start having your period for those first two or three years it looks very much like a perimenopausal picture 
And what that is, is that you can be having a bleed, but you might not necessarily be ovulating. So you're not necessarily getting um, um, that kind of peak in progesterone. And that's often why perimenopausal as well as uh, you know, puberty periods can look really similar. They can look quite floody and quite heavy and quite clotty. And that's commonly associated with a lower progesterone in balance of your estrogen. Okay. It's just your body. As I say, I liken it very much at puberty, like um, oil going through your engine for the first time, right? Um, it's yeah. that same thing. Your body's just trying to figure it out. On the other end of things, perimenopause, it's the same thing, but on the other end. <laughs> it's like the oil is coming through your system and coming through the engine because it's been doing it for a while, but it's kind of coming to the end. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's it's still that kind of um, erratic irregularity, right? So you aren't going to have the same swoop of hormonal predictability as you would do when you were having regular periods for example so that's the first thing to kind of note that there is also going to be a shift in how you feel around sex and intimacy depending on where your cycles are the other thing that is also going to happen so the impact on that is that the more as I say the physical changes and the more biological changes that you have in that in that season of time as well so this is when we talk about, uh, we label it as this thing called GSM, which is genitourinary syndrome or symptoms of menopause. So that might be when people are noticing a bit more physical symptoms such as um, vaginal dryness or irritation. And that most commonly is apparent in intimacy. So it doesn't necessarily mean penis and vagina sex. That might just be with like, their own arousal that they either find that they're needing a little bit more lubricant or they've never used lubricant before and all of a sudden they feel that things are needing a bit more lubricant um or uh the other thing is that uh, on another context of gsm can be that they're noticing a bit of leakage like urinary leakage so that is another symptom that tends to come along uh, around this time and again it's due to those kind of fluctuating levels of estrogen and progesterone while they're trying to figure themselves out um and it's actually the estrogen that creates a bit more stiffness and a bit more again juiciness and uh, plumpness around the vulva region particularly around that urethral sphincter so I liken it to a lot of clients like uh, yes pelvic floor is important in terms of keeping your incontinence at bay and making sure you're getting a good closing pressure but if you imagine the hormonal impact on that is like the washer on a tap so when you turn the tap off you can turn the tap off kind of manually as if that's your pelvic floor muscles but if you haven't got the washer you don't get a tight seal okay and it's the hormonal influence is what gives you your tight seal and maybe that is what clients um, or patients are experiencing like nothing really has changed in my pelvic floor strength I feel like I've been doing the same kind of activity um, but I'm getting a bit more urgency and frequency and I'm also getting a bit more leakage and it's the hormonal impact on those physical structures which makes the biggest differences. So they're probably the most common, I say two common things physically in a pelvic health arena, which is, as I say, vaginal dryness. We used to call it vaginal atrophy. It's such a horrible word. How rude. It's the worst. So we, 
I said, like, we would refer to it as GSM, which is just genitary urinary symptoms of menopause, which is stating a fact of what it is. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's the vaginal dryness um, or irritation or painful sex. So it depends if you have to unpack that a little bit of what that means to that person um, and urinary incontinence. And the difference being or the, the main thing to note about the physical symptoms of this is that they don't always change over time. So whereas, for example, in terms of the hormonal shift as you're kind of in that season of irregularity heading towards menopause and then post-menopause, mm. you can assume to some degree some of those symptoms you may be having, such as like hot flashes or uh, brain fog or anxiety, all the other stuff, okay, uh, not necessarily super physical, you would assume to some degree once those hormones have sorted their shit out and you decided, okay, yeah, we're done, we're at the end of that season, then usually those symptoms go away, yeah? So you kind of or, – or they have less impact. Sometimes with GSM, they can continue. So, again, it's because your uh, those hormones are affecting an actual physical structure. So for some people, they will need to kind of manage those GSM symptoms right the way through perimenopause and postmenopause. Is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How so? I know a lot of women suffer and don't talk about those experiences, you know. And how treatable or how complicated is it to treat it? Is it like incredibly worthwhile them coming to say, see someone like you, pelvic health physio? Is there a lot that can be done with those issues? Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes, uh, I say sometimes the simplest uh, solutions are the simplest, really. Um, So for for example, if you are, and I say like catching this, half of the point is what you're trying to generate is awareness, right? So A, the normalcy of these symptoms and it's not something that you have to put up with. And it's something that actually that can be quite a quick, easy solution to this problem if you address it and bring it to light and it can be quite confronting going or coming to say someone like ourselves you know it's putting yourself in a place of vulnerability you may not have talked to anybody about sex before you may not depend on your communications and your culture around what sexual health means to you um so it is quite a brave thing to to do but sometimes so for example with the gsm um what i'll usually say uh to people and one of the ways that we can get more information obviously is 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 an internal exam or a pelvic exam so i can look at the tissues and see what it looks like and you usually get a good idea just from observing what the, the tissues around the vulva look like right so um we're looking for um like texture does it look dry does it look fragile does it look raw does it look red does it look pale does it look like it's got a good blood supply does it look like I often choose to say you know does it look like it just needs a bit of love kind of thing um so all of those physical symptoms we can kind of pick up observationally wise we're also checking out that there's nothing sinister because obviously not kind of discounted sometimes you know vulva changes are really important for us as women to take note of so we know what's normal for us and what's not normal for us mm-hmm. so something like that it may be something as simple as just using a vaginal moisturizer so uh vaginal moisturizer is basically 
just like moisturizer or any other part of your body, but it just goes on the vulva and around, we call it the vestibule, which is like the opening to the vagina and around the urethra. Um, and what I, again, how I explain it to people is in the same way that you'd use moisturizer as a, pre- uh, a preventative um, for your skin drying out, right? So if your skin gets dry on your face, for example, you and you can notice those dry changes you're like god my skin feels quite dry you might you know slather yourself in moisturizer to kind of address the problem at the time but if you moisturize your skin every day you're building up your body's actually kind of like like mucosal skin layer of hydration which means it's more resilient to external environments on it right so um vaginal moisturizer is a bit like that for, for in the vulva so if you are acknowledging that there is a change in the skin tissue elasticity uh i think plumpiness juiciness around that area yeah. and you're like okay what often people find is that they need a lot of lube during intimacy and it's almost like there's not enough lube. <laughs> so they almost go through half a tube in, in one kind of like session. Um, but if that skin was more nourished on a, a more consistent for example, like daily occurrence, you'll need far less lubricant when you're actually being intimate together. So quite often there's this kind of confusion between what is lubricant what is vaginal moisturizer and then what is a vestin a a really low level of but it is hormonal and um, of estrogen cream that you apply so that mm. is a mission right so you've got these three different things going on and it's like i don't know where to start the simplest place to start is vaginal moisturizer and we, for example, we sell it here at Tahi. There's a couple of really lovely products. There's oil-based ones. There's kind of more like a gel, like a water-based one. They're all organic. They're, there's nothing nasty in them. There's no parabens. There's no PHAs or B, you know BPAs or anything like that. Um, and it basically, it's, its only job is to nourish and moisturize the vulva. So if you were using that, for example, after you have a shower, or a bath or whatever, and you just moisturize it, you moisturize your knees or or your face, takes five, ten minutes tops, not even, um, and it will soak in because it's a really lovely product. That might be all you need to eradicate some of these GSM problems. If, and I might as well on top of that, if they've mentioned, oh, well, I'm also getting some discomfort with sex. So with particularly penis and vagina sex, with penetrative sex, I might say, okay, maybe using the vaginal moisturizer on a day that's just for you. And then during intimacy, using a specific lubricant that's going to be specific to that person. So quite often what we recommend in the perimenopause um, population is a silicon-based um, lubricant because it's got um, a really nice um like kind of friction-free, silky feel to it. It's not globby, if that's the word. Um, it's really thin. Um, and it also it provides a nice kind of almost protective layer against the skin. Yeah. So it reduces friction, obviously. Um, but it produces this really nice glide, which, pa- which patients find really much more comfortable. And a little goes a long way. So there's lots of different um, types of lubricant you can use. But particularly in the perimenopausal population, I would recommend either an oil-based lubricant or a silicon-based lubricant. Usually water-based um, is a lot, uh, sorry, again, it's if you've got water-based, water-based lubricant in an environment that's quite dry, your body will suck it up. <laughs> uh, absorb it, yeah. Like, 
we need more lube. So you put some more in and it just kind of sucks it in. So by moisturizing the area, you kind of prevent that from happening. But also by having an oil-based or a silicon-based lubricant, you kind of you reduce the need for more lube. So for some people, that might be all they need, okay? Um, if there's an escalation on that, so for example, if they are also coincided with discomfort with sex, vaginal irritation, and they are actually noticing some bladder symptoms, so they're getting a bit more urgency, as in I need to pee and I need to pee now and I can't wait, and a bit more frequency, like I feel like I need, I'm peeing all the time, and there's really specific bladder issues, that might be when I... Uh, recommend they go and have either a conversation with their GP or gynecologist or whoever it is that's kind of managing them and talk about the option of maybe introducing a vest into them if the patient's happy and if it's suitable for that person because that is usually when you need a bit more than just moisturizer you might need a bit of topical estrogen in that region to create a bit more plumpness um yeah. and again stigmatism attached to hrt it's not hrt in the in the most common sense of the word it is in the scale um but it's so so minimal and kind of yeah. guidelines certainly from the uk like nice guidelines um for gsm is the first thing is a vestin and pelvic health physiotherapy they're the two things together that often yeah. give people most benefit so unless there's a very specific reason why you can't use a vest in or you have it again a personal negative connotation with it um it, it is usually really well tolerated by a lot of people and that's all it is beautiful well i know yeah. what we're putting on our shopping list do not buy lube from the supermarket that's usually my no please don't please don't buy lubricant or don't leave it to your partner to be their job because again I always say if there's something going in your vagina you have to be happy to put it in your mouth whatever that is okay so good guidelines for life good guideline for life because it's a similar mucosal layer right it's the same kind of absorption in your mouth as it is in your vagina so if you ask me to kind of squirt um you know a teaspoon full of durex onto a teaspoon and eat it i i that would be a hard no for me um and so consequently it's a hard no for my vagina um not happening it's not happening <laughs> just don't go so there. Great. that's so great yeah. let's move on to let's move on to sex sexual desire we talked about it and you know we we're going to talk about it in terms of um our psychology I think but I mean just in terms of how we experience that as women in midlife is you know I know for many women and myself included it's like your sexual desire has that cyclical nature you know at certain times of the month it's there and other times it's not so much there and then you come into perimenopause and then it's like get away from me don't even touch me I don't even want to see I went through a stage where I didn't even want to see people having sex on television because I was like what are they even doing it can be that full on <laughs> yeah absolutely and it's it's in the context of things as well right like I um it's it's something it's it's on a different scale. So what I mean by that is, for example, for guys, a lot of the time, uh, from their pelvic health, okay, it can sometimes be harder for them to maintain an erection. So they almost you have this kind of like crossroads where potentially for women, either it takes a lot longer for them to become aroused if they're even interested in it. It takes a lot longer for them to um, reach orgasm or kind of feel aroused enough to have penetrative sex and it not hurt. 
But for guys, it's almost like this shortened window where they can only maintain an erection for so long. So it's almost like this kind of you're trying to kind of cross these lines together in this perfect perfect window where, where a you feel like it you've got enough time to get aroused he can maintain an erection and it's almost like that those opportunities become less <laughs> at times so it, it can be a particularly tricky time um I think as well like you say uh, around that time of perimenopause as a generic population of people right uh, it's when people are still in their careers. They may have teenager kids um, or kids who are yes. older. You know, you're not kind of wiping bums and nappies and that kind of season. Usually yeah. it's usually you're kind of like the tweens or the teens and um, you've got them going through this big hormonal shift yourself. It's like essentially, especially if you've got, you know, more girls and boys, right? Um, and it's kind of for teenagers, their brain is going through these big shifts and these big recalibrations but you're also going through those big shifts of recalibrations yourself so it's like the perfect storm for a clusterfuck <laughs> basically because nobody wants to come into our house <laughs> you have this kind of the two kind of things that are happening at the same time and it always crosses over and um, so it's quite stressful for everybody involved um and I think you know you might on top of that you might be having aging parents so you might be also you know your dependence of shifts um so when you had younger kids you might just had to look after the littlies but now you have to look after these tweens and teens and potentially aging parents as well you might kind of be into your career and things that just there's just you you spread really thinly um and I think again it's just that kind of portion to have a kind of almost what I say to people is we need to zoom out a bit because I think when you look at things that obviously I've just talked about the like super physical super biological sense of things I'm like yes that's that's all well and good and we can treat the, the physical components but actually, you need to look at that in a bigger picture, right? So if you've got a really lovely moisturized vulva and, you know, you've got your lube, which isn't from Countdown, that's, you know, you've got some <laughs> nice good quality lube and you may or may not have some of on board, that might be amazing. But if you, as you say, you're feeling like, well, actually, the last thing I want to do is get intimate with someone, that's kind of pointless. Like, you know, it's, it's mm. great. When you when you do when it does happen, you haven't got any physical barriers, but it's all the other barriers which is um, right. often what happens. And so when we were talking about it on the uh, Tahi talks, we, I talked very much around this idea of kind of as I say the psychology behind arousal. And I think it's again going right back to the start of our talk of that you know there's this preconceived idea that um, women are you know, as we should be kind of good to go at any time, you know, irrelevant of our hormonal status that, you know, intimacy and sex looks like it is in the films, you know, like he comes, she comes at the same time. There's like fireworks. Mm. It was amazing. And the reality of sex is so far removed from that, that it sets us up to almost expectations is, is, is false. It's not fair. So as soon as you don't meet that expectation, you think there's something wrong with you. Um, um, and that in turn creates this maybe internal dialogue of like, oh God, it's me. I I don't want sex. I don't, you know. And 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 I'd say the biggest thing in in couples or you know in, in relationships really is the assumption is again the mother of all fuck ups basically because quite often you have this 
internal dialogue of that you might be thinking something like okay we haven't had sex for a while or we haven't been intimate for ages he's probably thinking oh god when's it gonna happen and da, 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 da. Um, and you might be running through your mental list of things of stuff you need to do for the rest of the week i really want to get to sleep i've got this due da, 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 da. but he might also be feeling like i don't want to feel pressuring her i don't want to feel like i'm pressurizing someone mm-hmm. but equally if i don't instigate it does she think that i don't find her attractive anymore and i know she's yeah. going through some mental stuff and i want to be there for her but i don't know quite how to be there for her so then it's this whole internal dialogue that never gets verbalized so the the biggest thing i think in in kind of a, a sex topic perimenopause uh, it doesn't matter about physical stuff it's really communication it's really explaining and i'm trying to keep some level of communication channels open in a non-pressurized situation and um, so um that's probably like my my biggest go-to the, the second yeah it's huge, right? Because, like I said, it's, sometimes it's not always the story you tell yourself in your head, okay? There's yeah. the other kind of connotation of men and women have different arousal rates, and that is, like a, you know, kind of they have lots of evidence around sex studies and sex surveys and thousands of people from the UK. And so what they found this thing of, it's called this thing called concordance. So they had this one study where, what they looked at was physical arousal rates. So they used uh, temperature gauges and urination levels and obviously engorgement. So females have erections just like males. And so for the male, it's obviously a penis enlargement, engorgement as blood fills the penis. But for women, it will be the clitoral area. So that the clitoris expands four times its size when it's aroused, right? So its own female little erection so they were looking at the physical elements of arousal and we're just obviously um showing the participants different images and stuff but what they actually found is that there was a with the men the feeling of arousal and actually them feeling turned on was so much quicker and so much more correlated to their physical arousal than the women so for example what I mean by that is that they got physical arousal men they got physical arousal symptoms and they felt turned on more okay so there was like a positive correlation or a more positive concordance between their head and their genitals females had the same physical arousal symptoms in their genitalia, but they didn't have the same uptake in their kind of mentality, in their nervous system. So it just showed that women had this lesser or, um, yeah, lesser concordance, if that's the right word. Um, So what does that tell us? What it tells us is that, A, potentially as females, we are not taught about um, our our own kind of sexuality, our own pelvic health, our own bodies, our own biology, but also kind of arousal senses of things were, were almost like learned to shut it down or um, it's just not encouraged. So, again, if you look at that in a bigger social construct, right, that's kind of this idea of uh, this double standard of if a guy has a one-night stand, he's like an absolute stud. If a woman has a one-night stand, she's a slut. Like mm. there is lots of social constructs that you can, exactly. but, you know, in terms of sex ed, right. When you think about younger women, um, te- being taught around their bodies, it's all around period management. Oh, you get a period. This is some tampon pad. You stick it in you and don't have sex. You'll get pregnant. 
that's pretty much it. For guys, it's lots more like, oh, these are condoms. This is how you apply your condom to a normal erect penis. This is normal. It's kind of expected that you will probably want to masturbate reasonably frequently in your teenage years. Females don't get any of that information. And so from an arousal perspective in a later generation, you're, uh, hopefully the tide is turning here. Um, but, you know, for, for sexual intimacy, there has to be there has to be a reward. Anything we do is risk versus reward. So, so, with, so can yeah, I, that's, that's so key, isn't it? Because I think prior to perimenopause, we can sort of glide on through with that biological imperative that sort of hormonally, right, you know, brings that level up beyond that initial attraction, right? But when we're in perimenopause, postmenopause, it's like, well, you know, I've got all these hundreds of things to do. And it, for many women, sex just feels like another thing on their to-do list. Like, how, how do we get back to this can actually be rewarding? Yeah. So I think the first thing with that is that you've got to, as I say, you've got to look at the risk versus reward. And I say risk, I just mean, is it rewarding? So would I rather be doing something else? So when you first look at that, even just the word sex, right, can mean majority of people would imagine what that means as penis and vagina sex. But that isn't sexual equality. 80% or 85% of women won't be able to reach orgasm with penetration alone, right? So if you just keep sex to PIV, penis and vagina sex, 85% of women won't get anything out of it. They may get something out of it, obviously, for their partner, but they're not necessarily getting anything out of it reward-wise in terms of orgasm, all right? So 25% of people will probably do that, which is great. Um, but, you know, in terms of the other half, majority yeah. don't. So sexual equality, when we look at that in terms of reward, it really is he comes, she comes. That is sexual equality. And that should really be across the board. So from young people who are becoming sexually active, right the way through to kind of like the other end of stages, right? So that's the first thing is understanding if you aren't getting or if you aren't being able to reach orgasm with penetration alone, you're pretty normal. You're in within the majority of people. So it's normal to need clitoral stimulation other than just penis and vagina sex. So if um, your own relationship is just that, so whenever you're being intimate together, it is literally the penis in the vagina in and out, and that is it, you're probably not going to see that as a reward. <laughs> like, it, because if you're not in the majority, yeah. you're probably not going to get an orgasm from that. So you might feel yeah. like it's, you might be doing it for your partner and that will give you some kind of intrinsic reward, but there's not really anything physical. There's not, you're not going to seek it. And I think this is the thing as well when you talk about drive, um, you know, sexual drive isn't really a thing like food and water and shelter. Um, so we don't, especially in perimenopausal years, as you said, you haven't got that um, drive that to produce. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're always coming to the end. So if you're relying on your sexual drive in perimenopause, it's not, it's, it's going to taper off. For natural reasons, not to reproduce anymore. Ironically, for guys, they can keep reproducing right the way into their eighties, right? So again, this is where you have the the differences between men and women. Um, so the other thing with that is that, with regards to again, going back to this reward thing. So the first thing is you need to make it rewarding for you. So um, I would say first and foremost, communication. Second thing, you need to have something in that intimacy session that is rewarding for you, aka. You need to have an orgasm in order for that to happen. So, again, 
there's the physical things for that. For some people that they might well need to introduce a bit of just difference, right? So that might be used the use of vibrators. It might be the use of like clitoral vibrators and associated with penetrative sex. It might be that you are needing something to even kind of get you to that arousal point. So um, again, low testosterone in, in perimenopausal women is really common as well. And that is a big indicator. So if you are saying, as you're saying, like, you know, I'm absolutely not interested at all. In fact, I find the idea completely abhorrent to have anyone near me. Looking at that lower testosterone as a useful component because that might well be something that is helpful to that woman. There you go. I put um, my hand up for that. Once I once I started on the um the body identical HRT and a tiny bit of testosterone, it really changed things. Yeah, it makes it makes sense, right? Because yeah. again, it's a sex hormone. It's something that actually tri- yeah. stimulates libido. So, um, making sure that, and again, this is where communication comes into key, right? It might well be you've always had PIV for the whole time you've been together, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I want to do something a bit different. It's where you need to kind of again, like, have that communication channel of like, this isn't because I don't find you attractive anymore. Um, and again, there's a big stigmatism around using things like sexual aids or toys or lube even, um, almost like it's, oh, God, we're at this point in our relationship where we need lube, we need a vibrator. It's like, well, actually – our brains are very much geared towards anticipation of acts. So again, I liken intimacy a bit like if you're doing your food shopping, all right? So if you go to the same supermarket every week and you know where your bread is and you know where your eggs are and you know where your milk is, you could probably go around and do your supermarket shopping with your eyes closed. Intimacy is not much different. If you know which weight, which order it's going to come, he's going to do this, I'm going to do that, then he's going to do this, then I'm going to do that, your brain gets a bit bored. So it's useful to have that injection of different things. Um, The other thing I talk about people is, um, you know, again, the normalcy for um, things like porn or erotic fiction, like when Grey's – Fifty Shades of Grey came out, you know, it was like a sexual liberation for women. Um, we've, it's probably always been there in things like you know, Chili Cooper novels, and but you know, it's like three pages and amongst nine hundred. <laughs> so you're kind of like three well-worn pages. <laughs> yeah, like some marked the pages. Um, so there's lots of things. There's also um, this app called Dipsy, which I recommend to a lot of clients, and that's uh, like D-I-P in the C, S-E-A. Um, and they're just audio short stories. They're like 10-minute stories, erotic fiction, but it's being read to you. So it's obviously for, for you know, for everybody there. Um, and it's great. It's just being able to, and this is where the psychology of sex comes in, that um, women have this ability to have lots of tabs open uh, in your brain. And if you have distraction, so you can have arousal and that you can have that kind of reward, like, okay, I'm going to do this action. I feel like I want to do it. I am a willing participant. Like, yep, let's go for it. But if there's distraction in there, then that will kind of cut you off. It won't allow you to kind of focus in on what you're trying to do. So this is where, as I say, different forms of arousal can be really helpful. It might not always be in the same way that you've done things before because your your brain is literally going through this big upgrade recalibration. So it's another opportunity for you to mix it up (laughs) and just 
and create some change and novelty yeah exactly and your brain loves change um and so uh, as in to, to create new uh with like neural mapping or schemas it actually you know and and the more often you mix it up the more it keeps its attention right so in in that sense of things it's helpful and then the last part to that I think for people is um they talk about um there's something called sexual currency um so there's a lady called Karen Gurney she's got a really good uh resource and she's under the sex doctor on instagram and she's got a really good book called mind the gap and another book she has is how not to let your kids ruin your sex life basically she has courses <laughs> on that it's amazing it's like absolutely 100 percent like kids kill your sex life um so from the sexual currency things what she talks about is this idea of um, exchange right it's give and take which is what a partnership is right um but sexual currency is all the things you might do for your partner that are non-sexual but contribute to an attraction to that person so if again you have very little exchange uh, and there's not much you do for each other in terms of a partnership and then you expect sex to happen it's probably not going to be fireworks and, you know, the most amazing experience ever because you're not investing in that exchange. You're expecting something to happen that you haven't invested in. Um, Versus, for example, um, and I was saying at the talk, you know, my partner, for example, he empties, (laughs) he cleans out the shower, which is disgusting. I live, you know, I've got two girls. It's always full of hair and gross. It actually makes me want to gag. Um, and he cleans the shower, and I really appreciate that in our partnership. And it's the way that he interacts with my kids, the way that he makes time for me, the way that we can have physical displays of affection, but it doesn't necessarily come with an obligation for it to go any further. It yeah. can be words of affirmation, you know, again, going back to the love language, for love languages, sorry, some people are all yeah. about verbal, some people are about actions, some people are about gifts. So that's, that's sexual currency. And again, it's this idea of exchange. So you can invest, you know, kind of make a deposit or make a withdrawal. And if you keep that exchange, you're going to find that intimacy you create together is so much more fruitful. And it depends on um, what sex means to your relationship. You know, some people it's really important. Some people it's less important. But I think, again, coming back to communication, you guys need to know what it means to you. Is that your partner connecting with you? And that's really a really important thing to to them and to you then it's worth investing in. And in that respect, it's worth investing in, as I say, things like time and effort Um, because the hardest relationship to maintain is a heterosexual monogamous relationship, which is, I'd say, the majority of people out there. Um, And they also find the sexual satisfaction, relationship satisfaction is very much correlated together, but it's better in the same-sex relationships than it is in heterosexual relationships. So. There you go. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. That that correlates with what I hear. It makes a lot of sense, right? So I think, I think yeah, yeah. I think that that's been so amazing, Emma. So so helpful. I think what you know is really striking me through this conversation. You know, communication is so key, and and so many women I speak to, and I've been there myself as well in midlife, where it's like 
the desire for sex has sort of waned and waned and waned. The thing is, it's not going to change unless we do something different, unless Mm -hmm. we open up communication, even if it's with ourselves first. However, we want to do that. We we can't just expect the months and months to go by. We're not doing anything to change anything and, and then for it to get better because it generally doesn't. Mm, and that is that is very true in this component of like the less you have, the less you want it. So yes. when, pe- when people have had this kind of, I talk about like, you know, like a drought <laughs> when you're yeah. like, oh, God, it's been a while. The less you have, the less you want it. As I said, it's not a, and it's not a drive like we seek out food and shelter and water, yeah. right? If you don't have sex or intimacy, there's nothing about it that probably makes you want to have it again. Do you know what I mean? Because you've almost forgotten mm. how it feels or or what have yeah. you. So as you say, it, it really is your the how important it is to you and your relationship, but also how it is important to yourself as well. Like I say, it's um, for some people the you know the say PIV, the penis and vagina sex is is fine, but they find it really hard to orgasm themselves. And it's like, well, okay, well, what is your relationship like with yourself? Um, and so sometimes it's very much starting there. So yeah. um, it it's almost like, okay, well, together you almost is fine, you know, for people, yeah. but actually you might need to spend a bit more mindfulness of connecting with yourself, finding out what it is yeah. that you like, what you don't like. And that's yeah. I think people find it really hard then to communicate that across. They find it really hard in an intimacy session. I yeah. want you to do this. It's really hard to say, particularly for women, because of all the social constructs that we all of us. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like not been allowed. It's like, you know, again, like female masturbation is dirty and it's shameful. You know, young boys will pull on their penis and make an erection yeah. and it's like, oh, isn't that sweet or funny? But mm. for girls to do it, it's dirty or don't do that. That's not ladylike. That's our conditioning, like, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we've got it's just a big all- shutdown. Yeah. 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 But it's, um, it's- I think that's such a great place to complete. I know we could keep going for another hour. But this piece around in midlife, our brain is going through an upgrade. And so wherever we find ourselves, there is an opportunity to learn about ourselves and to receive more pleasure and more connection in our life, right? No no matter what's going on right now, there's always a, another door that we can walk through. Absolutely. Opportunity to change. I think just keeping things as they've always been doesn't have to stay the same, right? Like you can, as you say, opportunity to change and that might be your sexual liberation in perimenopause or menopause, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. This has been so helpful, Emma. Thank you so much. I really wanted to share the the wisdom that you've imparted to me when I've been at that Tahi talk, when we've just had those odd conversations, I wanted um, the podcast listeners to get a chance to um, enjoy that and soak that in as well. So thank you so, so much. How can people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you some more or see you professionally? 
Yep, absolutely. So we're on all kind of social media platforms. Um, so we're on Facebook and on Instagram under Full Circle Physiotherapy. So there's lots of free resources and we put videos up there and links and things like that. And then if you're wanting to book an individual appointment, then uh, the best way to do it is through our website, which is www.fcphysio.co.nz. And you can just submit an inquiry um, and where you are located uh, around the mountain. Yeah, or you can reach out through Instagram messages, but um, emails or website is probably the best way to find us. Beautiful. And I'll put links in the show notes as well. Yes. Emma, thank you so much for our sexual revolution on the uh, podcast today. It has been such a pleasure. You're welcome. I hope people found it helpful. Hey, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Really appreciate you. Check out my course where we just go so much deeper than I can ever do on a podcast over an eight-week period. The Midlife Upgrade course is a blend of video and learning modules and weekly live calls where you will discover a roadmap for psychological freedom in midlife. Check out all the details on my website. I really, really would love to have you join the course. megancare.co.nz forward slash course.